0: Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. We have Michael Martin on to talk about tennis. We're in mid-January, um, middle of winter here in Ireland, but in Australia it's gotten pretty hot for a variety of reasons as we lead up to the Australian Open. Mike, how are things?
1: Hello, Mark. How are you keeping? Good now.
0: Yeah, Mike, do you want to give Good. yourself a quick introduction to everyone?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I will do Mark, yeah, so uh, Michael Mark is my name, I must uh, declare at the outset that Mark would be my brother-in-law, so strong family ties, so uh, luckily we agree on most things sports-wise, I suppose, in terms of Man United and and Munster and um, Limerick, yeah, so we, we don't have too many arguments, but uh, yeah, I would have been um, a big fan, or I am a big big fan of tennis, would have played a lot when I was younger, so definitely keep a close eye on it, it would be you know, one sport that I kind of watch the whole time, if I, if I can. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the Australian Open. As I said to Mark, probably never a better time to talk about tennis on his podcast because uh, it's been in the news front page and back page, as they say, over the last week, week and a half. And uh, this Novak Djokovic story in Australia has kind of transcended the sport and, you know, leads to... Uh, uh, bigger questions than just tennis, really, I suppose, in terms of COVID-19 and vaccination and all the the uh, opinions that go with that.
0: Exactly, Michael. I mean, for tennis, I think the last few months has been pretty difficult in terms of image PR. Particularly when you think of the Peng episode in China, that was pretty unsavoury. And then for that saga, it just died down a little bit. And then we had the Novak um, pandemic, the exemption, the political football as it were with Scott Morrison getting intervened. Mike, uh, what are your general thoughts on it? It seems to be a collective mess from all parties
1: Yeah, absolutely um, No big winners uh, or no winners at all I suppose, to be honest uh, Big loser, probably Novak Djokovic um, I don't know maybe it depends on what part of the world you live in, but certainly here in Australia, he's, he's a big loser out of all this in our part of the world we've come across that way as well obviously as many fans around the world i'm sure if you were talking to someone in serbia they would back him fully which they're entitled to do but um yeah just really interesting i mean the whole thing has become a circus really since he he put up on instagram on the 4th of january that he was flying to australia and that kind of took people by surprise because this had been this is something that had been coming for a good few months is then people particularly in the tennis world and in the sports world in general. I mean, he's the world number one. He's so well known. And his stance, if you call it that, or his opinions on vaccination have been well known. So like people have been watching this Australian Open for a number of months to see would he be able to play? Would he get into the country? And people thought he was, let's be straight about it. It was, a, it was a big surprise in the first place that he got a medical exemption in inverted commas to come and play. But uh, it just ha- hasn't been handled well across the board. I'd I'd say.
0: I'd agree with you there, Mike. And I think even from the angle of Australia as well, from your state administration to the Australian Open o- organisers, to the national government, there's been a complete breakdown in communication between all those three. I mean, let's remember that Djokovic and his camp got an exemption from the Australian Open organisers and also state of Victoria. And that said, in Victoria, the majority ruling party is in opposition to Scott Morrison, who's the Australian Prime Minister. So when Morrison Mm -hmm. gets involved, conscious of elections coming up in the next few months, it's a complete and utter political football that Morrison's basically thrown in here. And, you know, to get votes, you know, it's been just literally a hot potato over in Australia in terms of all the restrictions, particularly in Victoria and Melbourne, where they've had to serve plenty of restrictions, quarantines and for a world-class star of Novak Djokovic's stature to come over and one rule for Novak and then one rule for everyone else. It has sat very, very uneasy, I would say, with an awful lot of Victorian residents, I would say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, like a lot of Irish people, I'd have friends and and family uh, living in Australia and I, I was in contact with two of them there on purpose over the last week and a half just to get there their take on it and only a a small little snapshot but again like as you can nearly get they were saying the vast majority of people don't didn't want them And not even in a personal thing but as in if you've been in the longest lockdown in the world uh your family your friends australian citizens who are fully vaccinated and still cannot get back into their own country. I know it's eased a small bit now, but like that was the way it was for a long time. And all of a sudden, the rules there were nearly made up for Novak. This is nearly the controversy. Liam Brody is a, a, a British tennis player, and he kind of called it right. He's one of the few tennis players who've kind of been, what would you say, forthright about it. Um, but he said it himself on Twitter there, Jamie Murray and himself, Jamie Murray being Andy Murray's brother, who's a very good doubles player. But we asked about it at a press conference. And Jamie Murray's line, if you saw it in the media, was that well, I wouldn't have got an exemption. And Liam Brody came out on Twitter shortly afterwards and basically said that up until about November time, there was no talk at all of medical exemptions for the Australian Open. Everyone was under the impression that to play in the Australian Open, you'd have to be double vaccinated and you'd have to have proof of vaccination, basically. So as I said, all eyes were on Novak because of his previous comments uh, regarding vaccination. So when this medical exemption was flagged by the Australian Open about eight weeks before the tournament, people were wondering, hmm, is this a setup? Like, is this a way to get Novak in? And that's essentially what Lee Brody said, Was that like, we all knew this was coming once medical exemptions were mentioned, were like, you know, that was a red flag and we kind of, you know, we we're waiting to, waiting for Novak to get a medical exemption, essentially. Um, so really interesting. Again, does it come down to, uh, like, lots of things, does it come down to money? Where the Australian Open under massive pressure from sponsors, from TV, have the superstars there? I mean, there's no other Federer, he's injured. Exactly. Natal is obviously there. Lots of other good players, but, like, Novak is the main man. So, you know, why are they coming under pressure to to find a way to get him to Australia? But, like, it's it's been really messy. <laughs>
0: Indeed, yeah, defending champion as well, uh, Novak Djokovic as well, and again looking to get into that immortal kind of list with twenty-first potential Grand Slam title uh, to yeah. his name, uh, and as well Dominic Team. There has been a series of withdrawals here as well that really undermined, I think, the men's draw because um, you know, as you say yourself, Federer out with the knee injury, Dominic Team with the wrist injury had pulled out weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, I would, from an Australian Open organizer perspective, I would say media immediate interest and probably sponsorship of the tournament were really pushing for Novak's appearance in some shape or form but again it should be not one rule for one and one rule for the other which essentially this has been articulated and I think it's been a very messy situation for all parties involved, particularly I think Australia as well because, correct me if I'm wrong here uh, uh, Mike um, he does get deported and is he no longer able to travel to Australia for the next three years so that's his Australian Open participation, pretty much over, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, which yeah, or testing them out for Novak and his team, the clean record there.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, that the, the government have the option to uh, to ban him from Australia for three years is, is what you read in the media. So, yeah, I mean, will that work as well? Will he want to go back? All those things. Now, if actually, Mark, I'll just give you again not much about tennis sorry you know it, it's something we hear about this side of the world mainly when wimbledon is on obviously uh, like you know that's kind of it is and if we all think back to our childhoods you're two weeks in the summer you would be watching wimbledon on on rte and you take the tennis rackets out into the garden and put a bit of spring across the between two trees or something but like just to, in case people aren't aware like the tennis is very much like the golf and that there's four four majors or four grand slam tournaments a year so you've your australian open your French Open, Wimbledon and the US Open. And, you know, we're all in all sports, people are always kinda of looking for, you know, who the to use the American sports term, who's the goat, like who is the greatest of all time. And you know, impossible to to um to decide between generations and to weigh up, you know, people who played in the sixties, seventies versus people who play now. But the only way you kind of do it, I suppose, is by grand slams like. So the big three, as they've been called for years, are Novak Djokovic, obviously, Rafa Nadal, and Roger Federer. And, like, just in case people aren't aware of it, like, they have absolutely dominated the sport for the last 18, 19 years. Just like I, I, I looked it up myself, just out of interest, because I knew they dominated, but I didn't even know how much. Like, in the last 18 years, um, those three guys have won 60 out of the 73 Grand Slams. So they've won 82% of the grandstand tournaments over the last 18 years like that's phenomenal in a in an individual sport because essentially you can't have an off day or you can't afford very many off days you know you can't afford to be injured so like their dominance has been unbelievable and probably as a result of that their influence on the sport has been massive in terms of even on the what's called the atp tour which is like the association of tennis professionals which is the body that runs the men's professional tennis game. But like these three guys, because they're there so long, they probably have a big influence on that organisation, rightly or wrongly. So, you know, you have all these kind of political things in the background, like as in the ATP have stayed, they stayed relatively quiet throughout the whole thing, but you'd wonder, do they want Novak there as much as the Australian Open, you know?
0: Exactly. No, that was a great overview as well, Mike, because as you say yourself, I remember my childhood, um, really it was Wimbledon was the key one and you know, you, your father tell you to cut the lawn and then you get a few tennis rackets and kind of replicate what was on SW19 but you know, it's yeah. a ma- massive statistic you've just shown there in terms of those three guys, they're the greats of the game and to mm-hmm. say for the other guys within the tour, it's very much slim pickings in terms of, as you say, profile, grand slams, sponsorship deals I mean, these three guys really have you know, dominated uh, in terms of that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: After you went. Sorry, sorry Mark. You know, just, to, just to be clear then as well, like, I mean, Novak and is 34 years old, Rafa is 35, and Roger is 14. Again, people are probably aware by now, but like all these three guys are tied on 20 grand slams each. So, you know, the race is definitely on, as you said, to get to 21. But like, just Novak is kind of, he was nearly he's the youngest of them, but only by a year, but he was kind of the, the last one to win his first Grand Slam, and he, he, since 2011, like he's, which is only 10 years ago, so like he has won, um 44% of the Grand Slams himself, so in the last 10 years, he's nearly won half of the Grand Slam tournaments, so like, we have we, he is a bit of a divisive character, maybe, in this world, perhaps, and we'll talk about that now in a minute, as to maybe why, but like, you can't doubt how brilliant he is. I mean, he's so talented, so hardworking. Um, you know, he's driven. Like, I mean, <laughs> the big problem for the rest of the tennis world is after what's happened to him this week, this could drive him on for another five, six, seven years. You know, he's he kind of he's that kind of guy who's like, he's whether he likes it or not, he admits it himself. He's never, for all his brilliance, he's never been as popular and he probably never will be as popular as Roger and Rafa. As in, they just, you know, you know Roger Federer yourself. He's kind of nearly a, a sponsor's dream, isn't he? Like in some ways, he he doesn't put a foot wrong. He's cool, calm, and collected nearly all the time. Rough at the same. Even like I put my cards on the table and say like I'm very much uh, in in the Roger Federer or uh, Roger Federer kind of camp. Uh, but like so, Nadal used to beat Federer a lot. But you still most people never disliked Nadal if you know what I mean because he was. He couldn't, like, as if he was just such a good player and so kind of came across so well himself, like win, lose, or draw. But, like, whereas Novak, again, uh, for whatever reason, and we can mention some of the reasons maybe that we think in a minute, but he's never had that kind of popularity around the world. Now, he is very popular, obviously, but not definitely not to the same level as the other two guys.
0: Oh, completely, Mike. And I, I think you've brought up a great point in terms of, motivation, what motivates these guys to get out of bed in the morning, put in the hard yards, in the gym, on the tennis court, the analysis, preparation. For Novak, this is a big, big kind of motivation factor, I would say. The fact that he's now no longer able to defend his title. He's going to be an absolute wounded animal for the rest of the year here. I think he has a massive point to mm-hmm. prove to everyone within the sport, and as I, I would probably elude sporting public in general. And as you say, Instead of maybe finishing up his career in the next two or three years, he may ascertain that I need to go for another four or five years here to really cement my place, my legacy in the sport. So I think it might be potential bad news for anyone up and coming guys like Zarev and guys like that coming through. Um, but yeah, there is probably a body of evidence here, Mike, I would say, to you know support that popularity point. I'm just thinking back to the Adriatic <laughs> Open. In the height of the pandemic mm-hmm. when everyone was hunkered down in quarantine and then you saw the images of that cringeworthy disco nightclub disco ball you know party that went on and then the majority of them have get COVID after it like it was just it seemed like completely on another stratosphere to what the rest of the world was probably experiencing and suffering at that time uh, no real ramifications mm-hmm. or background uh, to you know decision making to hold a tournament in the first place but also then, the, you know, the lifestyle and the post-parties after it.
1: Yeah, that was it. Again, not to be going on too much, but people might be aware of it, exactly what you said. It was like in March 2020, uh, obviously COVID-19 was was all around the world and lots of countries in lockdown, including ourselves, and the ATP and the tennis in general stopped basically around the world, you know, international travel, etc. So it stopped. But uh, Djokovic... Uh, organized essentially a tour in the Adriatic, uh, so in Serbia, his home country, Croatia, Bosnia as well, I think, so it's that part of the world, so obviously it wouldn't involve travel by air, which makes sense, I suppose, but he organized a, a tournament, and by the way, lots of players turned up, lots of really big names, Verev, Zverev, uh, Cilic, you know, so it wasn't just Djokovic by any means, like, lots of top names were there, Was there? 15 or 16 guys but lots of them in the top 20 in the world like you know our top 40 in the world at least but anyway long story short as you said he uh, was criticized for it because it's by my understanding of it is he didn't break any laws or like you know regulations in the countries themselves but it just did not look good as in like you know fans on top of each other in the crowd social distancing that was meant to be there didn't happen and as you said like the guys who were on the tour were basically uh yeah, enjoying themselves while the rest of the world was kind of suffering so it was just and it was stopped after two rounds i think there was maybe five rounds of it in five different cities okay. but it had to be cancelled after two because covid outbreaks among the players and look it was just another pr disaster for him really because it was he organized it. he's the high profile guy so he kind of got the blame for it if you like and Again, this was following on from his kind of um, interviews and in, I think it was around April 2020, where he, you know, kind of said that he, I don't want to misquote it, I, know, I don't think he said he was, did he necessarily say he was against vaccination, but, like, he certainly didn't come out strongly in favour of it, and he certainly uh, was very much against, like, the fact that he'd have to be vaccinated to get into countries to continue his tennis career. He wasn't in favour of that at all. Exactly.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that was the, the main message that came out of those interviews. And I mean, he may have a problem here trying to get into other countries. I mean, thinking of the French Open I'm thinking of Wimbledon I'm thinking of the US Open. I know pandemic-wise Omicron is, the variant seems not as bad. But again, I don't see restrictions being kind of lifted in terms of, you know, pandemic, passport fees, you know, passports to get into countries. So I think he's going to encounter this in a few countries where he goes to, particularly on the A P T tour. Uh, events, particularly when he gets into Europe, particularly when he gets into the America um, summer season as well, so yeah it's just been a catalogue and I think this hasn't redone really anything for him um, in terms of the the PR I mean, the PR has been spun that he's been the victim in all this, but I think Rafa coming out as well right at the end, you know, to say look, I think they're sick and tired of all the tennis players having to tackle that question, particularly when they're in Adelaide particularly when they're in Sydney warming up, preparing for this Grand Slam, having to field questions about Novak Djokovic. I think Rafa's comment was, you know, one man can't derail a Grand Slam or tournament. You know, I think that's the thing of deciding factor. I think players have been massively distracted, want to just move on here. I think from Novak's perspective here, I think it needs to be a little bit of reflection time here in terms of how this has been handled, particularly in his camp, because ultimately the, the application form that he submitted to Australian Immigration seems have had a few holes in it uh, from trying to explain things away that December 16th appearance, when we've been hearing in the media that he was diagnosed with COVID-19, there's a media appearance of him, I believe it's in Belgrade, literally a, a media appearance. So things like that, those anomali- anomalies I think didn't sit well and, you know, granted the court gave him an ex- extension, but as you say yourself, you're like, if this was a qualifier, last two weeks qualifying for a first round would they have had the same treatment in terms of getting an exemption not i probably wouldn't and the fact that there's been such a low exemption rate here as well i think there was only three including novak that got exemptions um everyone else um i, d- I don't think even bothered to submit an exemption i think they knew what the the, the response would be pretty quickly
1: yeah, so, yeah go ahead mark yeah after you mike no, yeah, I was just going to say, should, that's it. I mean, it's that's why people were, like, Novak Djokovic, again, he's entitled to, uh, I, we know, but, like, he never disclosed his vaccination status throughout the whole thing. Okay, so that's his, his right uh, to do. But, like, that's why people were watching Australia so closely, because Australia has this reputation for, you know, very strict border control. As we knew, the rules were there that essentially you had to be double vaccinated to get into the country. So that's why there was such interest in Novak Djokovic and the Australian Open to start with. So like it was just uh, bizarre from the Australian point of view then that they let him into the country in the first place. You know, it, it just that's why it, it became so political. Probably. I don't know what they were thinking really. And the easy thing to do would be obviously not to have left the player into the country in the first place. And then, you know, people would have said, OK, Australia are sticking to their rules. They're treating everyone the same. Isn't that what it comes back to? One rule for the rich and a different rule for the Joe. soaps like that's yeah. that's what it screams of doesn't it
0: exactly and i think the fallout here i think particularly even from an australian perspective here i think it's going to be huge i think you're going to see an awful lot of organizational change in that australian open committee quickly ceo the judgment calls here in terms of even preempting this sort of mess why wasn't there open communication between the australian open and victorian government And then with Victoria government and the Australian Open um, and the Australian government all getting together, even in November, setting the party line straight away. There has been a massive, I I think, even Australia, the image of Australia, I think would be tarnished on this for any sports person going into the country, particularly a, a global star. If this is the treatment from Novak, you know, for Novak now, granted, the reasons that we said, and this is not really bashing Novak either, but for any other aspiring, like I'm thinking of golf, I'm thinking of other world international events that would be held in Australia. I think if you're a marquee sporting star, you've got to think long and hard about committing to a trip down to Australia, given what you've seen here with Novak Jock, which is episode where he's been taken away from his rental accommodation to a hotel, which looks pretty uh, horrific from the outside, a detention hotel. It's just the image, you know, everything is just not seeing, um well in this episode for anyone. No, as you said yourself, Mike, start of this podcast. There's been absolutely no winners here. So I suppose we've kind of covered that in length. So let's kind of move on to the main event. And I mean, the main event seems to be in a very secondary sideshow to what's happened in the last week and a half, two weeks with Novak. But let's get on to the men's draw now, um, given that Novak now has been scratched given the, the deportation uh, order. Um, who are your fancies here, Mike, in terms of, it seems to be a wide open uh, field, given the the stars that are now missing.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, possibly, Mark, but you still, you'll probably find in the men's it's not as wide open. I mean, let's just know about to mention him one more time. He's a nine-time Australian Open winner. So that's like nine days of the last three in a row. So like, yeah, him not being there is, is massive. It does. I'm sure there's a lot of guys who woke up this morning or were in Australia today, and they're delighted, obviously. You know, big, big, big favourite out there. So, look, Minzwise is uh, probably the favourite now. He's the number two seed. I don't know how well-known he'd be if you weren't following tennis too closely, but Daniel Medvedev is his name. He's a Russian guy, 25-year-old. He won the US Open last year um, and had been threatening to win a Grand Slam for, you know, the last year, year and a half. Beat Djokovic in the final, by the way and beat him very well, like, beat him in three sets, and Djokovic was going, uh, what's called the Calendar Grand Slam, if he won the US Open, he would have won all four Grand Slams in the one year, which has not been done since, like, 1969, I think, you know, Rod Laver, Rod Laver is the guy who the the court is named after at at the Australian Open, so, like, you know, that was, like, massive history in the making, and Medvedev stopped him, basically, and and was well-deserving of it. So he would be the favourite, I'd imagine. Then you have other guys. Alex Berif, um, is a German guy. He's about 24, I'd imagine. He's still a young enough guy. But knocking on the door, like has been to a grandstand final, definitely is a guy who's looking to make the breakthrough, should be trying to make the breakthrough now in the next next year. is kind of, you know, make or break time for him. If he doesn't do it in the next year, will he ever do it? That kind of way. Except and then, of course, you can never discount Rafa, can you?
0: No, exactly. You know he's lurking there at sixth seed, wasn't he, or sixth in the world? But mm-hmm. you know, I think the seeding doesn't really matter much when you have Rafa Nadal in a Grand Slam draw. He's he, he's always a danger to anyone mm-hmm. on a Grand Slam. Well, like Zarev, John- has a great. He's had a great end of year, hasn't he, Mike? Um, I mean, if you think about it, he won mm-hmm. the Tokyo Olympics gold medal for Germany. And then the ATP finals uh, at the back end of last year. I mean, he should have massive confidence going in, uh, given those two triumphs alone, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he'd be be my pick, I think, as in just in terms of it's the Australian Open is on hard courts. That should suit him. Um, Again, people might or might not know the French Open is on clay, which is Rafa main surface. He's dominated there. So, you know, the surface makes a big difference. At at that level, it definitely does because there's not a whole pile between the guys. So I would actually go for Zverev if I had to pick. So look, that's not a um, a lot of people would like. That's not you wouldn't want to pick Zverev as a potential winner. But aside of those three guys, like there's you're kind of looking for young, You know, you're saying who's going to step up next, who'd make it through. There's uh, people might have heard of Sitisipis, the famous who's a, a Greek guy. Who would be in the mix as well, but he's only coming back from injury. He's a, an elbow injury, as far as I know, and he'd do well. He might do well to get through the full two weeks. You know, it's it's five sets, but he's a guy who should have a big year as well. And outside of that, just to mention one or two other names, kind of the next next year or two, uh, younger. So it might take them another couple of years to build up that strength and that experience. But there's a, a Norwegian guy, which is slightly unusual. Casper uh, Rud is his name. Uh, but he's, he's definitely up and coming, and um, I might pronounce his name correctly now. But there's a Canadian guy, Felix Auger Alissimi, is how I pronounce it if that's correct. But yeah, very talented, he's 21 year old, all the kind of skills. But even if you see him, he, he still looks a bit light, you know, he doesn't look as strong as the other guys physically, so might be a bit early for him yet. But he's a name to watch in the next year or two as well. So, I look when when. Federer isn't there now. Djokovic isn't there. You know, it just opens it up, and it's probably good. Like tennis in some ways, men's tennis. Like you could do another two or three extra new names because Andy Murray obviously is doing really well, in making his comeback. But you know, he's not going to get back to that level. Like he's he's doing brilliantly to be where he is, even now. His career looked finished through injury. Um. So you know, some fresh faces and fresh names would probably be good for the game.
0: Exactly. You know, and you mentioned Andy Murray there, and remiss not to mention Andy Murray's name, particularly on the last two decades. I mean, he was kind of flirting with that top three as well. He's won a few Grand Slams as well, and he's contended a few Grand Slams. And again, his hip injury, stuff like that, for him to come back to where he is, and I was, I was happy to see him come back in that Sydney International final. But he faced Karasev in the final, and to be fair, Karasev just had a bit more to him, uh, you know, and maybe maybe a dark horse to get into, maybe a quarterfinal that Karasev he had a good, good, good performance against Murray, he seemed to be a good all-rounder. And Murray is facing is apologies to any Georgian fans that are listening to this podcast? Silv Lashville, um, the big kind of big hitting Georgian player in that first round. And he's another guy, you know, with his age profile. Hopefully, as you say yourself, Mike, we're gonna see two or three young guys really emerge from this tournament and grow and develop and challenge the top three really. And I think for Rafa's sake, if Rafa's match fit and is fully kind of confident in his own body, I think sky's the limit with Rafa in this tournament, but I think if he gets involved in a few five-setters, particularly in the third round quarter-final, that may give a chance to a few of the younger guys as well, because given Melbourne, middle of the summer, the temperatures will be high and scorching, so I think uh, the Rod Laver court is nowhere to hide, particularly if you have some fitness issues in the background, so yeah, I, for me, I'm thinking it's probably Medvedevs to win. I think he's a great player. But again, he has to show, doesn't he, Mike? I mean, particularly in these grandstands, he yeah. has to really kind of kick on. And same with Zerev as well. I really do like him in terms of his all round game. But I think either of those two, and maybe kind of someone like Karasev as well, um, to provide maybe a bit of a dark horse dimension to it. Um, We might yeah. go down to the women's drawing, I mean, Venus Serena. Uh, not in the Grand Slam this year which is unfortunate Uh, but again Australia interest really I'd say is really focused on Ashley Barty Um, uh, Mike I don't know what impressions you have of the women's draw here and who we should be looking out for
1: Yeah I mean God talk about um, very hard to predict I mean Ash Barty is she's world number she's Australian as you said which is obviously uh, you know her home Grand Slam she's 25 she's won Uh, two Grand Slams so far. I'm pretty sure she won one Wimbledon last year, didn't she? Uh, The other Grand Slam she's won escapes me now, of course. US Open maybe. many. I'm pretty sure she's two Grand Slams and would love to do well at home. I don't think her record in Australia is fantastic. So, you know, sometimes uh, being at home can really help you. Sometimes maybe it doesn't. But look, she's the number one seed, so you'd expect her to go far in the tournament. Anyway, after that, the women's can be so hard to kind of predict. There's so many good players, players around the same level that you often find like that there's a lady comes along and she has, you know, a brilliant year and she might dip in form the following year and, you know, you know there is that same dominance, which is maybe a good thing. I don't know, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Depends. But like, I mean, if you want a few names, obviously Naomi Osate is probably the biggest name in women's tennis. Um, four grand slams, one today. Fantastic, yeah. yeah. She's only 24. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if yeah, you you uh, know as well as me, Mark, she um, took a break for mental health reasons and was very open about it, which is good and refreshing to hear. And, um, you know, so, and rightly so, she took a break if she needed it. And, uh, but she's back now. This Is is this her first tournament back? She played a warm-up tournament, but this is her first Grand Slam back anyway.
0: This would be your first Grand Slam back, yeah. She did participate in some warm-up events and played pretty okay, so, you know, and it's mm-hmm. great to see her back, you know, and she's been a breath of fresh air, I think, in terms of mental health and getting yourself right in that space, I mean, that the whole schedule, the life of a WTA player, ATP player, we always think is a bit extravagant, you know, uh, travelling around the world to the best places, the best venues, but there's another side to that as well, that you're away from home, from your loved ones, your family, for quite a long time during the year. And it does take its toll. And in fairness to Naomi Osaka, she did really highlight that issue uh, superbly well. And let's hope for a good long term for
1: her. Yeah, and you did, right, Marcus. And we like we all probably with a lot of professional sports, we all think it's you know it's glamorous. And we you know as kids, particularly like you, aspire to be. A lot of people aspire to be a professional footballer, tennis player, golfer, whatever it is. But like, and it may if you're at the top end of it, obviously. But like, yeah. There's sacrifices with it, as in um Djokovic. I know he he moved to Germany as a 12 year old, you know, Andy Murray moved to Spain as a 12 year old, as far as I know. There's an interesting one, actually, if people mightn't have heard of the lady, but Belinda Benchich, she's a Swiss tennis player. You'd have heard of her. Mark. Yeah. She won the Olympics for Switzerland. But um very talented, um talented player, obviously. But I never won a slam, but like I said, a fantastic career generally. But like I remember reading about her. And from what I read, her family basically moved when she was four years of age for her to pursue a tennis career. You know, in she was in Switzerland, and they often moved to a different city at four when she was four, just to um, give her the best chance at a tennis career. So you know, it's um it's big, big commitment, big sacrifice, and as per usual for the the people it works out for, there's probably another for everyone it works out for. There's another twenty thirty that it doesn't like. You know, so it's a uh, it's a good life, I'm sure, if you're at the top end, but it's, it's probably not as glamorous as we all think
0: either. I'd agree with that. I think the drive and determination to get to that next level, it, you only see it with the Murrays as well, with Judy as well, you know, from Dunblane in Scotland, having to really kind of take the guy's career and scruff the neck, bring him to Balateri, bring him all around the world for coaching, it takes huge um mental financial resources to even get a kid like Isid Bensic you know or Murray's even to that level where they are 50-50 to either make it or not make it there's so many stories I would say Mike you know in terms of like any professional sports but particularly tennis because such an individual sport of potential stars in the making that haven't made it for one reason or another so I think that was a good analogy there um, I'm just even looking down through, you know, the uh, the WTA rankings here, 1 to 10. And then I'm looking from 10 to 20, and I'm seeing, as you, we've talked about Osaka, we haven't talked about Simona Halep from Romania, Katova, the golden girl, Emma Raducanu, and she's facing Sloane Stephens in an opening round game, which uh, has sensational potential match of the year for the Grand Slam written all over that one. Uh, and Keys as well, who won the Adelaide International as well, and as is as well, she won the Tokyo Olympic gold as well for Switzerland. So you just never know here, uh, Mike, uh, and also the Spanish lady, um, her surname I'm going to absolutely murder uh, Muguruza, um, who won the ATP final. So I think there's an awful lot of live live threats here to win that Grandstand.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and another girl, uh, Iga Swiatek. Uh, again, our pronunciation might be great. A Polish lady. Um, and she's like she's only 20 years of age I mean and she, I think she could be number three number four as in she's again there's so many of these uh, ladies who are so good um, that like in, and it's kind of a fairy I suppose because you've heard constantly of your guys and the men's but again that's just because they've been so dominant for so long your Djokovic's Nadal's and Federer's whereas the women um, because there's so many of them around the one level you probably don't hear them as much if you know what I mean Exactly.
0: You know, um, definitely well, uh... there is Jabo as well, who seems to be quite a, you know, an up and coming prospect for Tunisia, which is great to see um, North Africa being represented. And also Kerber. Kerber uh, is playing, starting her campaign on Tuesday and real kind of sleeper there. Um, if she could go deep, she could cause an awful lot of issues for an awful lot of um, opponents, particularly second, third round as well. So um, I suppose, Mike, let's put yourself on the spot here uh, in terms of the women's draw. Who, who do you think will uh, win uh, come
1: two weeks? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go for Simona Halep. Um, it's it's definitely not... I, I put it this way, I, I've already kind of gone for Alex Varev in the men's. And as I said, I don't think a lot of people... You wouldn't want to be a genius to kind of pick him out. Whereas the women, it's much harder, I mean you'd really love to see after the first week who's left in it. And when you get to the round of 16, you kind of see what the form line is, you know, who's playing well. You'd have a better idea because there's a potential for like, a bit like Emma Raducanu. I mean, she, now that's an amazing story. Obviously that is completely unlikely to happen again, that a uh, qualifier um, wins the whole tournament. But it just kind of, it's momentum, isn't it? As in, like, as in you win the first round, you know, all of a sudden you might have a bad draw in the second round and, there's just so many women that on a given day can beat each other. Like, it, it's really hard. But if I had to go for someone, I'd go for Halep just because she's a good record in Australia. She's um, yeah. she's won Grand Slams before and coming in a bit under the radar, actually. You know, we didn't mention her there initially well, you did, but, you know, she's she's a, a proven winner, basically.
0: Exactly. And I think it will come down to experience, particularly when you get to the quarterfinal, semi-final stage. Ashley Barty has a nice run up until the quarterfinals. But I think, Mike, you've Capture perfectly, being the home favourite, it brings advantages, but it certainly brings disadvantages we've seen that with Emma Raducanu last year in Wimbledon, the expectations soared after her first, second round wins and you could argue in terms of the pressure getting to her ultimately now she went on to bigger things in flushing medals, but again that pressure that expectancy you have to probably experience it I think for Barkley as well, I think if she can get to the core final, final she's very much a live trail. I would be with you as well. I think Halap is a very strong contender here. Um, but yeah, I'm probably going to go very dark horse here. I would say maybe Kerber uh, for me. If she's anyway on form, on her day, she's capable of being anyone here. I, I think that's my kind of left field selection. And I mean, Kerber's body of work so far has been superb. Uh, whenever she's gotten to the business end, of uh, Grand Slams she's usually performed very well and it's that temperament and composure particularly when you get to the quarterfinal, semi-final stage I think experience will be key so yeah for me I think i the Kerber and I'll probably go for as I say, Daniel Medvedev on uh, Australian Open I'm a bit hesitant with Medvedev you know on these days he's brilliant but on other, other days he could be a little bit of a mixed bag so I think even I think Desirev pick their uh, mic from yourself I think might be pretty decent so um, which is good yeah. So yeah, yeah I might I... Leave it.
1: Perf- no, perfect. Mark. go ahead,
0: yeah. yeah. No, we might leave it there, Mike. Um, we are kind of recording this, you know, on the eve of the Australian Open, but it might be interesting for us to maybe kind of touch base again, either within the first week to see how things are going, and definitely before the eve of the Grand Slam finals and see how good our picks have been. Uh, you know, particularly start of the year. And you know, there's probably additional talent there that we haven't even mentioned that could just bolster the blue new season, new year, and new coaching setups that bring players onto the next level. So maybe we could uh, kind of touch base again, Mike, uh, next week, see how our picks are going and how the tournament is going post Novak.
1: Perfect, Mark. Yeah, we do that. And as you said, yeah, it, it's interesting. There's always it's such a global sport. There's always a new kind of star emerging, as you said, like it's a, a jar, jarber there from Tunisia and it's pretty, yeah, it, it covers all corners of the globe. So it, um, yeah, there's always something new and exciting coming along. So yeah, looking forward to knowing that the two weeks should be good and we'll see what happens.
0: And let's hope there's plenty of excitement and drama going on the court now, not off it, um, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I think this, this Grand Slam deserves it. No, after all the all abuse, all the talk, regardless outside of this tournament this tournament always delivers massively exciting epic tr- trailers uh don't expect anything more given the field now uh, particularly the women's draw seems very exciting and also the men's draw i think maybe spicy up a little bit uh given with novak's uh, absence so mike thanks very much there and yeah we'll talk to you soon thank you
1: thanks mark Bye bye
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.